0: I like to say to non-Christians, God will give you a personal miracle. If you want evidence of God's existence, not just creation, but he'll give you a personal miracle. He'll make you a new creature, brand new creature, so you'll love righteousness and thirst after righteousness. And that's a miracle for a sin-loving sinner. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You'll come out of darkness into light, out of death into life. It's a radical. It's called being born again. And the first time you're born, very radical. second time you're born, just as radical. And so your whole worldview changes. I became pro-life in a matter of seconds. Mm. As soon as I knew what God wanted, and I knew intuitively what God wanted, even before reading his word, I knew right from wrong because my conscience told me. Anti-abortion pro-one-man, one-woman, and marriage. I hated adultery and on all murder. Everything that God loved, I loved. Everything he hated, I hated because he gave me a new heart with new desires. And as it says in the new covenant, I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. Living Bible interprets that as, I will cause you to do the things I want you to do without my even telling you to. Hmm. And that gives you a totally new worldview because you're a new creature.
1: One of Ray Comfort's biggest nightmares: A young child finally learns to count to one hundred and says, "Do you want me to count to one hundred for you?"
2: <laughs> Has that happened? Seriously, oh, dear, Ray, tell
1: me that dear. would not be a nightmare. Absolutely for you. terrible.
0: My, my other big nightmare is someone who wants to play ping pong and they don't know how to play, uh, and then you've got to run after that ball. Yeah, hundred times. To me? But yeah, yeah, that's Pretty much. that's really scary. Or when Mark says, "Let me tell you a story."
1: Yeah. <laughs> Now, friends, you might think that the number 100 was just used randomly. But no, it was by design because believe it or not, this is the 100th Living Waters
2: podcast.
1: Guys, can you believe it?
2: That's crazy. What have you learned in 100 podcasts? Well, I'll tell you this, that it's been six of the best hours (laughs) of my life.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, this is number 100. Well, I mean, we have episode zero. So this would, if you want to say hundred one, but in terms of a number, seriously, we've got episode zero. You can't
0: have an episode zero. It's it's one.
1: You were on it, Ray zero? Yeah, we did a zero. Remember the introduction one, our very first one? We didn't well, count We said we have one? no idea no, no, what we're can't doing. No, you was the very first one, because that's our very first zero. Did we start with Mark talking about Ray opening his eyes during prayer, or something like
2: that? Something like that. It is kind of funny, though. If you go back and listen to that episode, we literally started as like, okay, so here we are, and now what? Yeah. We're, we're not sure what we're doing? Yeah,
1: Mark <laughs> said Ray prays with his eyes open. I say, why do you do that? And then we just went, and we said, yep, that's the intro, pretty much.
2: Yeah. And we've learned nothing since. I was going to
0: say, what have we learned?
1: 100 <laughs> since? episodes. That's and uh, believe it or not, we have a special guest with us Again? to celebrate this 100th. Yeah, he's he back. He not leave. I know this is, I'm sure it would be by popular demand, even though we don't know that yet. But uh, welcome back, Emilio.
3: Yeah, there's a reason why I'm here. It's the 100th episode. You couldn't do this without me. We couldn't. We Tell needed me. the
1: Mexican slash Arab.
3: Emilio, how
2: many of those 100 maker. episodes have you listened to?
3: Oh, um, definitely the last three. Yeah, he's vetted <laughs> us for sure. Wow. For sure. Um,
1: yeah, this. and friends, for those of you that don't remember Amelia from the other two podcasts we did, we go way back. Amelia was a part of the church where Mark and I pastored. He was the chef extraordinaire at uh, the School of Ministry for Men, cooking up that salsa. You still freeze salsa, you said? You can't yeah, live without salsa? Yeah, I cook, I cook it in bulk. Yeah.
3: But that's not the moral of the story here. The moral of the story here is that when I wouldn't make salsa for the school ministry, Easy would get out of character. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't say he was. You godly. mean in he character. was? Yeah, he, he wasn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, no, he no salsa. In, equals, no salsa. No walking in the spirit. Yeah, I mean, equals period. full flesh.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But not just that, Emilio and I share a special uh, bond. But uh, yeah, I officiated at Emilio's wedding. Ooh. How long ago was that? Now, Emilio. I don't know. Ask my. Oh, wife. did you tell Emilio the, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Your license uh, was canceled before that. It wasn't
0: legitimate. I can't do math oh, yeah. So, yeah. Did you tell I,
1: him? I never sent in the certificate, Emilio. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're not married, brother. How many
4: years? <laughs> he is not bound.
1: Yeah. Twenty years. Uh no. 16, uh, 17, close, 17 years. Two thousand
4: three. Nineteen years. Is it two thousand three? Seven of the best years of Trisha's life.
1: Wait, was that? Has it been nineteen years?
4: You're that old. Oh boy, that's scary. Yeah. It goes Except quickly. It. Yeah. One of Famous the few weddings where the people witch-rish. are still together that you officiated easy? <laughs> <laughs> Savage. Moving right along. Why do you think he loves me? Too soon. Yeah,
1: yeah. but we share a, a rich history and redgracemedia.com, Emilio. That's where you could uh, find out more.
3: Yeah, and also Christ in Kingdom is the podcast, and I only mention that because, selfish plug, but episode number six, I do a whole breakdown of this subject if people want more. Yeah. Yeah, transhumanism.
1: yeah. And uh, one more thing, Emilio and I share something else in common, something that demonstrates he's always trying to follow me. Extra
4: small t-shirts. Our name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Our names. Emil and Emil. Yo. Oh, and Why'd you have to throw in a yo in yeah, there? Yeah, and
3: easy always tells me, it means eager. <laughs>
1: eager. Igor. <laughs> All right, friends. Um, by the way, guys, I did have a thought. I, I, That's a change. Did you guys ever... <laughs> Is that a smell I'm smelling? Did you guys... <laughs> <laughs> Did Someone's you guys cooking. ever have songs growing up that just stirred up the emotions in you? Oh, Walk yeah. like an Egyptian. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Boy, Mine was Fame. You guys remember Fame? No, you're not gonna, you sing know, it. I'm gonna sing it. David Bowie's gonna sing it. No, as kid, I remember as a kid. Are you talking about West David Bowie's Fair? I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> I it was on Fame, the TV show. Are you gonna live for? Remember, remember this, the TV show? I
2: thought you were talking about Fame, no. the song.
1: No. Well, yeah, it was a part of the TV show. No, it was this one, Fame. I want to live forever. Of course that
4: would be forever. I want
1: to <laughs> learn Next. how to fly. I remember as a kid in Westminster, Little Arab Boy, I just, ah, every time West that show Minster. would come on. Ah, if anybody wow. wondered if Easy was
4: prideful, <laughs> all you have to realize is he can't be after singing like that. He still <laughs> sings like that. You, you, That's how I stay humble. You
0: reminded me of a program I used to watch as a kid called Have a Shot way down in New Zealand. They had people with talent come on. If they didn't have talent, you hear a gun go off, and the curtain <laughs> would come down.
1: <laughs> the be, gong show. It'd be a machine gun for me. No, but fame would come on in the evenings, the, the show, and the song would start playing. On the old black and white? <laughs> yeah. I would run across the living room, and when they'd say fly, I'd put out my arms. Fly! Like a real ballerina. Yeah. Anyway, Ray, you don't remember that song, Fame. I want to live. I was forever. busy reaching the lost when you guys were into that worldly stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah, Emilio's was I. I believe I can fly. Mm. I believe I can fly. That was I believe I am a fly. Yeah, when he was cooking at the school of ministry, it was I believe I can fry. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so Emilio's back with us. Uh, we we've talked so far with him on the past two podcasts about technology and the challenges that it poses for Christians. We talked about transhumanism and its insanity and man thinking he can be God. Today, we're gonna talk about something that really touches on that and everything else in the life of a Christian. We're gonna talk about uh, worldview and how to strengthen our Christian worldview. And so let me kick us off with a a definition for worldview.
2: Oh, but before that- easy. could you define it first? No.
1: Oh, before that, we've got a comment here. Oh, here we go. Man. This is from Leaky21. Don't, don't make jokes <laughs> about that name. Leaky21. Balanced is the heading. From a fella that drives one hundred and fifty to four hundred miles per day, thank you to the Living Waters Podcast for a well balanced podcast full of joy, honesty, truth, theology, and giggles. You guys do a great job of keeping it to the point and share great biblical views. Please keep the content coming. Thanks, Leaky. We try oh, okay. to we try to make and it And easy, work. please keep singing. No, just kidding. You thank didn't you. need to say just kidding. <laughs> Leaky 21. Thank you for that. Very encouraging. And they
0: can be fixed. They can do something for that nowadays. <laughs>
1: the leak. <laughs> uh, oh, and friends, Overcoming Insomnia by Ray Comfort at livingwaters.com and the Evidence Bible. Ray, Overcoming Insomnia.
0: Yeah, I wish the printers did, did what I asked. I wanted them to put on the cover of this book will put you to sleep. But they didn't do that. Boy, I
4: remember traveling with you, Ray, way back when when Carter was in office. And you would say, hey, I'm having difficulty falling asleep. Just tell me your testimony. Gas prices were about the same. Unbelievable. Rate. Same price.
1: Yeah. So anyway, actually, uh, we do poke fun at Ray a lot. But a sleep specialist who had a sleep center to help people sleep actually carry, would give these to people. So. Yeah, you said you
0: couldn't believe I'd found the cure to sleep. And it really is true. I, I did find it.
1: Yeah. If so, you want the answer, it's, it, 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 it's this this, podcast. Podcast. <laughs> this is it. This, podcast. this is the pinnacle of it, this podcast. All right, back to Emilio Ramos. Oh, yeah. Uh, how to strengthen your Christian worldview. So here's a definition of worldview. This is from Got Questions. A worldview refers to a comprehensive Conception of the world from a specific standpoint. A Christian worldview then is a comprehensive conception of the world from a Christian standpoint. An individual's worldview is his big picture, a harmony of all his beliefs about the world. It is his way of understanding reality. One's worldview is the basis for making daily decisions and is therefore extremely important. Is that about right, Emilio? It
3: well, sounds good. Yeah.
1: Worldview. Yeah, I like that. How important is worldview, and how poor? Are Christians you know, how poor is Christian worldview competency today? Mm.
3: Wow. Yeah, more more work needs to be done on a worldview because worldview is sometimes reduced to certain things that people like to talk about in terms of their worldview. One thing that's left out of a worldview is eschatology, right? Define When's it lot, again for people. What, well, you did on the... well, eschatology is a study of last things. I but really a study of the book of Vesta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eschatoslog. Uh you know, but last things is is been um you know it's been kind of misused in the evangelical world to really focus on things that we fight about. You know, <laughs> the timing of the return, you know, is there a rapture, you know, are mm-hmm. you a, are you this millennialist or that millennialist? You know, but eschatology is, if you think about it, it's primary in the Bible. Uh, The Bible begins with eschatology. It moves to soteriology later, you know, but the Bible begins with, well, yeah, a plan for God to advance humanity forward, right? Adam is told, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of all these trees, but don't eat of that tree, right? And if Adam obeys, the implication is that he can partake of the tree of life and live forever in the kingdom of God. And that becomes central to the whole Bible, then the whole Bible is about how God is going to usher in man to partake into his everlasting kingdom, for example. we don't think about that stuff in our worldview, yeah, we think about maybe ethics or we think about morality or we think about sociology or justice or something like that, you know but but really, we are eschatological creatures, God you know in a very short time here, our entire lives will issue forth in eschatology, yeah, and we will be in the eternal kingdom of god so and I think it's the answer to this broad conversation we've been having about futurism is an eschatological worldview. Uh, no. uh, we, have a real, we have a biblical worldview that tells us how man is going to advance forward, and it's not going to be through technology. It's going to be through an act of God bringing the world to its consummate point. The futurist worldview tells us the world doesn't have a consummate point. The world is in evolution. In an evolutionary model, there really is no end. There is no telos. There is no goal. And I think we can use that to our advantage when we talk to people about this conversation in technology is what's the purpose of it all? What's the goal? Okay, we're going to be beamed out in outer space. Yeah. Okay, for what purpose? Uh, Just so that we can explore different planets. What's the purpose? Hmm. You know, what do you do when you get there type of thing? You know, man is basically ateleological. There's a famous secular or a author that wrote on secularism, Charles Taylor, he says that man has purely an eminent frame, mm. which means they only live in the framework of the now. And it's, they can't break out of that. They can't transcend that. And they have no relationship to the transcendent. Well, in yeah. a sense, that's what transhumanism really is. It's, there's no relationship to transcendent things. As much as they talk about transcending they don't believe that man has a soul, they don't believe in a a personal God, they don't believe in an afterlife, they don't believe in a heaven or a hell. The closest they come to is something that Oscar said in a previous episode, and that's the idea of consciousness. Ray Kurzweil says that for him, God is consciousness, quote unquote. Whatever God is, Ray Kurzweil says, the closest we can come to that is consciousness. Mm. And what he means by that is, that is an area that science and technology and, you know, innovation, we still don't know what the conscience is. And so for him— you say conscience or conscience? Conscience and consciousness, right? And so for him, for Ray Kurzweil, he says, that's my notion of God. Hmm. But, you know, obviously from the
2: biblical worldview, we're more than just consciousness and we're more than just conscience. I want to go back to what you said about imminent frame, because that's important. Charles Taylor, Catholic and Canadian philosopher— I will forgive him for the Catholic part because he did write some really cool stuff in a secular age. But what he said about imminent frame is essentially in modernity, we would see ourselves as primary, or we would see truth, beauty, goodness in ourselves as primarily things that we can experience with our five senses. We would not move past the here and now, where pre modernity, man thought of themselves as primarily created things. To know ourselves, we first must know God. And I think that that's incredibly important. I love that you bring in eschatology. I think when we hear eschatology, most people think, oh, that's future stuff. It's nerdy stuff that I maybe I'll get into later on, but it's not really here and now important. Yeah. It's in the back of the book. It's in the back of the book. Systematic
3: theology is the last thing.
2: Right. It has nothing to do with discipleship, perhaps, but I think it has everything to do with discipleship. I'll give you an example. I heard a very popular pastor. We would all very much respect this person and not disagree with most of his stuff. (laughs) But I heard him say something very Gnostic one time. He was talking about the environment, and he said, what's the point? It's all going to burn up anyway. That's a Gnostic eschatological view of future times, where what the scriptures tell us is that God is going to restore and renew the world. Our eschatology tells us that we are to to have dominion. That doesn't mean destroy. It means do good into the world, to care for the things around us. In other words, it's not going to all burn up. Rather, we've made a muck of things and God is going to restore things. And that changes how we interact with the world around us. It changes how we interact with people, with the environment, with the way that we see What's happening around us? In other words, eschatology has everything to do with how you live your life right now. We love to give things away. We love to
1: give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week Goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and the podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Yeah, you know, Ray, one of the things you often say is that when you came to know Christ, so many things in relation to your worldview were just radically transformed, right? I mean, we're talking today about strengthening our Christian worldview, and we need to do that, but but isn't regeneration a big part in the establishment of a Christian worldview?
0: Boy, it's everything. You know, I, I like to say to non Christians, God will give you a personal miracle. If you want evidence of God's existence, not just creation, but He'll give you a personal miracle. He'll make you a new creature. Brand new creature, so you'll love righteousness and thirst after righteousness. And that's a miracle for a sin-loving sinner. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You'll come out of darkness into light, out of death into life. It's so radical. It's called being born again. And the first time you're born, very radical. Second time you're born, just as radical. And so your whole worldview changes. I became pro-life in a matter of seconds. Mm. As soon as I knew what God wanted, and I knew intuitively what God wanted, even before reading his word, I knew right from wrong because my conscience told me. Anti-abortion, pro one man, one woman, and marriage. I hated adultery and on all murder. Everything that God loved, I loved. Everything He hated, I hated. Because He gave me a new heart, with new desires. And as it says in the New Covenant, I'll cause you to walk in My statutes. Living Bible interprets that as I will cause you to do the things I want you to do, without my even telling you to. Hmm. And that gives you a totally new worldview because you're a new creature.
1: Mark, what would you say are some of the main? questions that worldview answers
4: well we have to remember that we all have a worldview as c.s yeah. lewis said we are all theologians most of us are just bad ones mm-hmm. um, if we all have a worldview it's just how do we interpret the things are around us right what is the meaning of life what's going to happen when i die uh why do i go to work why do i why am i faithful to my wife why 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 and within christianity we have the basis for truth and anything outside of the bible we're going to come up lacking. But a worldview, basically, uh, we, we just interpret everything around us according to our worldview. So even atheists and agnostics and people that adhere to the tenets of the flying spaghetti monster all have a worldview, as much as they think that they don't. 100%. Everybody is religious. Here's how Herm-
2: Herman Bavinck answers that question in his book, Worldview, which is a great book. I just finished it last week. The problem that confront the human mind always return to these. What is the relation between thinking and being, between being and becoming, and between becoming and acting? What am I? What is the world? What is my place and task within this world? Autonomous thinking finds no satisfactory answer to these questions. It oscillates between materialism and spiritualism, between uh, atomism and dynamism, between nomism and antinomianism. But Christianity preserves the harmony between them and reveals to us a wisdom that reconciles the human being with God and through this, with itself, with the world and with life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: That's good. Back in the day when I was in Bible college, I read a book uh, called The Universe Next Door. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was by uh, James Sire, and that was my introduction kind of to the different worldviews that are out there, and basically it highlighted the main ones, and there's a lot interrelated, but it was theism, deism, naturalism, nihilism, existentialism, pantheistic monism, Techno pluralism and New Ageism, <laughs> and those were basically kind of the, the foundations of where people's worldviews come from. One interesting thing, you know, and Mark, I, I'd like to ask you this because you obviously function in this world quite a bit. But, but it's often said, atheism is not a worldview. Why is that often stated? Well, they,
4: they want to. You know, atheists will come along and say, hey, listen, you're an atheist as well. I just believe in one less God than you do. And they think that they're taking a higher road in, in so doing, that they're not making any statements that are valid. There's no claim truths to what they believe. But in reality, their worldview is absolutely self-refuting all the way to its core. Let me say this. Grant me a few minutes, if I can, to just share with you. You got 30 seconds. I had told my son, Ethan, that I was uh, dealing with the topic of how to strengthen your Christian worldview, and he quickly just uh, wrote me this, and he sent it to me, and he said, "...the Christian worldview is strengthened when and only when it is conformed to, anchored in, and grounded upon the authority of Scripture. This doctrine has been held by the saints of old and is commonly known as semper reformanda, which means always reforming, right? Scripture alone is necessary to form a strong and complete worldview." As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In other words, the Bible alone is the transcendent standard that goes beyond our subjective opinions that must be applied to any and all situations, whether it's scientific, philosophical, or theological. The Scripture must be the ruler by which we measure all things. That means everything that is taught in the Bible is true. Scripture is the only place where nothing has to be questioned on the validity or the reliability of a statement. Everything else that exists requires us to be Bereans searching the scriptures to see if what we hear in the world is true or false. Scripture is the only thing that does not need to be searched to see if it is false. Why? Because it is the ultimate standard. If it did have to be searched and compared to a different ruler, an outside source, then that source would then become the ultimate source of authority. And what are you comparing the Bible to would then become the new standard and thus a better standard. However, by what standard can you now make that standard the ultimate standard to judge all things? So without Scripture... Christianity has no legs, and without Scripture, our hope is in vain. So Scripture has the only true answers to all the important questions you could ever face. Who is God? Is there an afterlife? How are we saved? Who is man? What is the meaning of life? And then he sums it up in this, Psalm 119. The entirety of your word is true. All of your righteous judgments endure forever. Every other worldview has been weighed in the balances and been found lacking, including atheism, which so leaves a charge. So Ethan is a
0: quote from your son. Did, that?
4: You did, you, did you say Ethan wrote that? That no, was, yeah, so Ethan wrote that. Ethan so wrote that?
1: Yeah. Harold yeah. Boy, Ethan? the apple sure falls far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I was
4: going to say, easy. who do you think's been discipling him? <laughs> so Mark,
0: how old is Ethan?
4: Ethan's 19 years old.
0: His boy, you just had him. This baby's grown up via theologian. Wow, that was really good. That's wonderful. So I, I wanted to know where he stopped and when you were starting. Yeah, so he
4: stopped with the Scripture, right? The okay. entirety of your word is true. All your righteous judgments endure forever. You know, so with atheism leading the charge, wanting every other worldview to get behind it, thinking that it's intelligent, it's not. Right, the fool has said in heart, "There is no God." Remember, it's not the mesmerizing mathematician, the brilliant biologist, the scholarly scientist that says the fool. The fool has said in heart, "There is no God," and the atheist as well has self-refuting statements, but it still has to answer the questions as to what is the meaning of life, and it cannot because everybody gets to come up with their own definition of to what the meaning of life is. Good.
2: Yeah, as a former atheist, I would say absolutely they have a worldview. We all have presuppositions, and our presuppositions are grounded in a worldview. Prime example, if you're an atheist listening, you immediately reject the idea of the transcendence. There can be no miracles because it has to be explained through natural processes right That is in fact a worldview yep. that is a presupposition that you take into the world when you try to reason your way through life and try to define things that are happening when you look at uh history and and you, you discuss things like people like Jesus, anything that happens around you, you frame it in a worldview, in a presupposition that it has to be described through naturalism. You reject anything transcendent. That is a worldview.
1: Yeah, I mean, Emilio, wouldn't you say that a worldview is, I mean, at its very foundational level, and to bring it to to kind of sort of street talk, it's sort of like the, the glasses through which you look at the world right the lenses through which you interpret everything because we're all given the same information basically but how you interpret that information is going to be dependent on your worldview
3: correct and your worldview would determine the way that you live right yeah and that's why it's important it's not just a philosophy so the worldview it doesn't just stay in the abstract it affects the way that you behave in this in this life Mm. and that's what francis schaeffer was all about if you guys remember you know schaeffer was all about taking us back to the foundations of worldview, so that we can understand what gave rise to things like Rome putting public pornography all over the empire wow. uh, for people to have to walk by I mean imagine i mean we we live in a world I didn't today know that can you well, us- we have we have we have a world today right where Seriously? we where we hide that kind of thing still we have some conscience as a culture you know what i mean it, you there 's obscenity law, there 's laws for obscenity you can 't do that kind of yeah. thing in Rome, they paraded that openly there was there's even today there 's mosaics and statues and ruins that are left that were pornographic were pornographic, and they're hypersexualized, and it had to do with their paganism and things like that but it just shows you that their pagan worldview you know gave them this view that you know they either kind of like what you see on Mars Hill right you had either the Stoics or the Epicureans Stoics tend, tended to be much more uh, t- they tended to be much more uh, Stoic uh, yeah, <laughs> they 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 lived for asceticism. They kind of neglected their body, whereas the Epicureans gave into hedonism, mm. and so their 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 way of looking at the world affected the way that they lived and the way that they processed everything. It's like mm. one thing I am telling people is like, if you look at what's so good about what Mark uh, read there, you know, is just in terms of when you have a biblical worldview, you are reminded of what the Bible is what is the Bible? Fundamentally, the Bible is a story. It's history. It's a narrative, right? And so what does Paul do in Acts chapter 17 for people that have these conflicting worldviews? He doesn't begin by telling them, repent and believe in Jesus. Mm. He begins with telling them what? God made the world, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, God made the world from one man. And then from there, he began to tell them that God ordained where all of humanity would live and what they would do. So in a sense, he's reconstructing a worldview for them, a cosmology. And if you don't do that for people even today, right? Yeah. If we don't do that for... We were, we've we been talking about futurism and transhumanism, and I told you guys that a lot of the literature begins with a cosmology, a history of cosmology. If we don't begin to retell people the, the, the story of Scripture, then people will begin to lose sight. Of the creator and creature relationship and begin to confound the creator and creature re- distinction. And so people will adopt things like pantheism and panantheism, this idea that not only is everything God, but panantheism is this idea that God and man are in some sort of mutual relationship and dependence upon one another. Where do those kinds of ideas come from? Where do evangelicals now get concepts like God needs us as much as we need him? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is everywhere today in Christian literature. Like God can't live without us Hmm. kind of thing. Process theology. Yeah, process theology while. A relational theology, this kind of theology, mm. that's all rooted in your worldview of the creator and creature. So yeah. uh, it affects everything. And let me say that
2: having a discussion about Christian worldview, as Mark was alluding to in what Ethan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ethan wrote, strengthening our worldview is not just something that non-believers have to do. It's something that we constantly have to do for ourselves yeah. because we are swimming in the water, right? There's this old joke that I can't remember what's his name, but he used it to describe this uh, where there's two fish swimming around. One fish looks at the other fish and says, Water's great today, isn't it? And the second fish says, What's water? (laughs) And that's kind of exactly the point, though, that we are all in the cultural milieu and we are all adopting, if we're not careful, aspects of the of the worldview that's out there that's penetrating our thoughts and minds by being on social media by by watching movies music story by just living in modernity we are naturally gravitating towards what the cultural says is true and so the way that we strengthen our Christian worldview is like muscles if we don't use it we lose it and the way that we use it is by embedding ourselves into God's word into his truth and I think ultimately worldview comes down you can almost simplify Into three things what scholars do is truth, beauty, and goodness. Hmm. When we have a right worldview, we know truth. When we have a right worldview, we can understand what is truly beautiful. You mentioned Rome and its hypersexuality. Is the beauty of a woman in her body or is it in the way that she reflects the goodness of God? Oh. And goodness, what does it mean to do good to our neighbors? Can capitalism give us the answer? Can socialism give us the answer? Or does God work, God's word give us the answer to these You know, when you talk about beauty,
3: I've stressed this a lot. You know, worldview has been defined by many as meaning, morals, and beauty. That's how I like to phrase it in a summary. And beauty has been neglected, aesthetics, right? A theory of art or beauty. But we're living in a world now where aesthetics almost is driving the worldview. When you think about a worldview, you're thinking of a couple things. You're thinking of metaphysics, a the theory of ultimate reality, right? And then you're thinking about what happens in phenomena or experience, right? And and typically, people determine their experience based on some kind of metaphysic commitment, like a commitment to what is ultimately real. What we're seeing in our culture today is an inversion of that. We're taking the phenomenal world, the world of experience, the world of what we see to dictate what is ultimately real. Yeah, right. And so we're looking at things that are beautiful, visually uh, pleasing, and we are concluding that if it's visually pleasing, it must be good. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's what's gonna happen the more and more the world goes into things like VR. Yeah. Okay, that becomes very important. Would you
0: say the foundation of uh, a world, biblical worldview is grounded in the fear of the Lord?
2: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, beginning of the wisdom. I For love, sure. Yeah. I love what you just said, and Boving says it like this. If the logical, ethical, and aesthetic norms deserve absolute validity, if truth, goodness, and beauty are goods worth more than all the treasure of this world, then they cannot thank the man for their origins. There is only a choice to be made between the two. The norms of true and false, of good and evil, of beauty and ugly, emerged slowly in history by evolution. But if that's true, then they are not absolute. And while they are true and good today, tomorrow they may be untrue and evil. Or they have absolute and immutable being, but then they are not products of history. They merit a transcendent and a metaphysical character. And because they cannot float in the sky, they have their reality in God's wisdom and will. It's going to what you're saying, that truth, beauty, and goodness cannot be defined by us. It must be defined by something transcendent, and that something is God, our creator. Oh, that's good.
1: Ray, I have a view that the world is basically split up into two categories, and that is Christian theists or practical atheists. And what I mean by that is not that people don't claim to be atheists or that people aren't of other religious persuasions, but at the end of the day, you're either a Christian theist, which means you're, you're part of the one and only true faith established by God in correlation to the truth of Scripture, or you're a practical atheist, which means that even though you know God is real— yet suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, you find those manifestations in, in different religious forms, but you're, you're really living like God doesn't exist mm. by the way that you live. But I just love the way you bring it down to just such a, a, an understandable sort of level when you third, talk third to Third grade level. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> kindergarten. Um, but, but I love how you do that. So when you're dealing with those practical atheists in life, whatever form that practical atheism finds, what's your go-to?
0: My go-to, where in am I going to, strategy. or where I come from? Bellflower, yeah, your California. Stra- your strategy. Like, <laughs> who are you? Well, my, my strategy is to show them as danger. And most atheists, by definition, are idolaters. Their understanding of God's character and nature is erroneous. They don't realize that. The God that they don't believe in doesn't exist. Hmm. It's a figment of their imagination. Dawkins has got a definition of God that he rattles off. It's very famous that he's a misogynistic and he just goes on and on this list. (laughs) That God doesn't exist. He's just pulled the rotten things out of the Old Testament and just piled them up in a big mess and said, if that's your God, I don't want him. And so I want to show them the character and nature of God, which is revealed through his law, so that they tremble and say, man, I'm in big trouble if there is a God. And as you said, they know God exists because God's given light to every man. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are... Clearly seen And I just love Psalm 19 verse 1 The invisible things No How does it go? No That's that's Romans Romans 1 1. The heavens declare The glory Uh, of God I'm sorry Yeah. yeah. The heavens declare The glory of God And when we broke away From Britain It wasn't a suggestion It was a declaration We're doing it We're out We're out of here And the heavens declare God's glory. This yeah, is it. This is the painting of the painter. You've got no choice but to know I exist because of the glories of the heavens. And mm-hmm. Man, when I look at the heavens, I'm blown away by the blueness of the sky, <laughs> uh, and even in California. And the brownness of the sky are on the edge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I'm flying back into L.A., man. Uh,
0: Yeah, you say, it's what like, are they going to land? they Are going to land on the smog or the ground today? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the blueness of the sky and the big, puffy clouds that you figure are filled with literally millions of gallons of water that are held up there miraculously to water the earth when God says to. He lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Yeah. So every time any atheist look at this, it looks at the sky, the heavens, he knows. Yes. And I know he knows.
4: Yeah. You know, but boy, that you, we're, we're raising a really great observation here in that there are not many worldviews out there, regardless of what your religion is. There's two worldviews right? That there's the Christian worldview based upon an absolute source of authority that cannot bend, and then there is everything else. So whether you're Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, whatever it is, you're in a different worldview. And to your point, Ray, right, that God is not inviting people to become a Christian. This is not an invitation. It is a declaration. You must repent, You must repent and place your trust in the Son of God, or you will perish. These are the two worldviews, and we say this without excuse. There's one remedy, there's one solution to man's problem. It's found in Christ alone. And we get to know this plan by knowing the Word of God, and the Word of God reveals the Word of God, ultimately, Jesus Christ, the Mm. Word that became flesh. Amen. Amen. So guys, here's what I want to do with
1: the time we have remaining both Oscar and Emilio have younger children. I thought you were
0: going to bring luncheon. Oh, we're <laughs> going to go to lunch, brother.
1: <laughs> Don't get me going. But both of you have younger children. Mark and I and Ray all have older children. Uh, my, my youngest is 15 now. And Mark's is, is as well. But Oscar, your kids are what ages?
2: 13, 11 in like a week, and nine. Okay,
1: and then Emilio Eden, Eden is, is five. five. Yeah, oh.
2: she'll be six in December. Adorable. And you've
3: got a dog too.
1: So, so yeah, let, let's. I mean, we heard Mark read that very well-written and profound statement by Ethan. I mean, Hell seriously, yeah. how many nineteen-year-olds yeah. <laughs> would even understand half those words? But at least one. Yeah, maybe. But you know, it's so great because that Mark is testimony to the fact that you have really nurtured your family in the Christian worldview. So, guys, what can people do to do that with their with their kids? So, Oscar, what do you do with your children, and what can people do?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think. What we have decided to do is to not raise them in a bubble. I think what happens often, what I've seen out there, is that Christians will sort of isolate their kids, and, and then they'll go off to college or go into the real world, and they will, for the very first time, experience narratives that are in contradictory, and they do that in the context of their new communities and their f- new friends, and they are not prepared. And so what we are trying to do with our kids is to teach them how to navigate narratives so that they're not isolated from different stories but rather they know how to disseminate. So one of like our constant prayers is that we would uh, and our kids our, our kids pray this for themselves as well that we would know the difference between truth and lies. And yeah. so I've talked about this. One of the very very practical things that we do is that we'll watch a movie and in the past like Most, I think, Christian homes, unfortunately, look at a film and they'll think, okay, there's there's no LGBTQ moments, there's no cussing, there's no explicit sexuality, okay, that movie is safe. But all of these films have a worldview, and sometimes it touches on things that are redemptively true, but a lot of the times they touch on things that are not redemptively true. And if, as our kids watch these stories, they begin to adopt those narratives. And so, the things that we teach our kids is, well, Kelly and I will watch a movie and then we'll say, okay, kids, like, we'll, we'll let you guys watch this movie, but I want you to be able to find the lie. And we play a game. We play a game called Find the Lie. And their responsibility is to watch a film and discover conflicting views within it so that when they're watching Frozen, they know that, like, They can watch that and discover lies that are in there. And when they're watching whatever movie it may be, they can disseminate the difference between truth and lies. One prime example is anytime a movie calls us to follow our heart, our kids right away, there's a lie. That's a lie. And we ask, why is that a lie? Well, because our hearts are deceitful. They're wicked. They're destructive. We can't follow. Well, if, if our hearts aren't following the Lord, then our hearts are Leading us to destruction. And I love so, that.
1: So, Oscar, it sounds to me like you, you have a, what I would call an approach of integration. Like you're integrating the Christian worldview and its principles into reality and into daily life. Yeah. And, and teaching your kids discernment through that. That's
2: good. Yeah. Discernment, yeah. I think, is the right yeah. word.
1: All right. So, Emilio, for those that have kids that, that are even younger, like Eden being five, you know, I know you guys do a lot. We see some of the adorable videos, mm-hmm. you know, with with her and Trisha. And so, what can they do for their younger kid?
3: Uh, I would say don't underestimate them. Mm. Uh, I would say teach them... Like I'm teaching Eden high-level theology. Uh, Recently, we did a family devotion where I was teaching on the immutability of God. Hmm. And Eden was... uh, We were making analogies and metaphors in creation and just in life experience of things that change right whether it 's uh, you know people change because they age or people change because they move houses or you know mm. just different examples yeah. right, and so we started contrasting everything in this world to the immutable character of God, and it was amazing to see her grasp, just fundamentally grasp. And a lot of it we taught her by negation, like things that God does but doesn't change. you know Well, mm-hmm. uh, what if God does this? Does that mean He changes? And so we just went for I mean, I don't know, we must have went for an hour just teaching wow. her on this, and her inquisitive mind just yeah. want to know more and more and more. So I think um, I love that. I don't would do some of what Oscar them, yeah. said, but my wife's such a Puritan, she won't watch any movies <laughs> uh, like, at all. So I, I don't have that. I wish, she'd, I wish she'd watch Lord of the Rings with me, but she won't. I'll watch it with you, too. She, she, uh, for Trish, TV is an, a massive waste of time. Yeah. So, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna try to coach her out of that. You know? Yeah. That's her deal. But, so we do teach Eden in those ways, but also, honestly, uh, scripture memorization. Yeah. Eden, when she was two years old, she wasn't three yet, she memorized probably five chapters of the Bible <laughs> and, at two. And she wow. could she could rattle off Genesis chapter one, Romans chapter eight. Oh. You know, I mean, all these stanzas out of Psalm one nineteen. Yeah. I mean, there she. I mean, you could barely understand her. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, <laughs> I remember and She that. just yeah. goes on and on and on. You know, and and a lot of that has stuck. And even now, Trish's. I'm always on Trish because Tr- Trish teaches her that through music. Mm-hmm. so she'll recite little jingles and. So did
0: Trish uh, memorize Psalm one hundred and nineteen? Yeah.
3: Yeah, 119. A wow. Yeah, she memorized Psalm 119, and she's memorized Titus, and she's I mean, she's memorized tons of scripture. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. I'm terrible at memorization like that. She's she excels at you it. You mentioned that before. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm just a you know, like you guys. I'm just a big believer in teaching Eden uh, in the most practical things, teaching her the most the most uh, profound things. Yeah. So it yeah, doesn't matter the smallest little thing. I use it. Uh, like right now here in Southern California, I mean, everything we're doing, the beach, you know, going mm. for nice walks and looking at beautiful flowers and, I mean, everything we're just directing, or even the homeless, we're directing the homeless. Yeah, <laughs> We're using the homeless uh, for the glory of God, you know, to teach her about poverty and Crime and just yeah. everything, you know? So, yeah.
1: And, and I think catechizing our kids is, is really good. Yeah. Uh, teaching them even how to think critically, yeah. laws of logic and reason, um, all of that is huge. So, Mark, leave us off with, with whatever you, you want to say, but also what can adults do? Like well, the, the believers listening now, what, what can they do to strengthen themselves in, in the Christian worldview?
4: Yeah, well, you know, it's it's never too late to start to learn, right? I mean, you begin to think that an Olympic gold medal is never given out to somebody who starts well, but it's it's finishing well, and it's not an option to take your foot off of the acceleration pedal there, right? We are to continually move forward. You'll know that when God is done with you, when you're dead, right? It's, mm. it's that simple. I, I love what uh, Oscar was saying there with uh, the television. I remember teaching my kids logical fallacies through the book, uh, The The Fallacy Detective. Yeah, we did that with our kids, too. And having the kids, you know, spot the... The logical fallacy you know and so continually time and time again they would just say you know it's an appeal to authority or it's ad hominem or whatever it is and i'm just going this is great because you are going to be lied to continually and when you're not meditating on truth you're going to believe lies are true Mm -hmm. so we must go through god's word and god's word must go through us so when i say it's never too late it's never too late to start that family devotion it's never too late to pick up that commentary we continually forget what lies behind, and we press onward, we push upward. We must have one direction ahead, and that is towards Christ. And mm-hmm. I've often said, if you're going to fail, fail by falling forward and leaning in Christ's direction. Let mm-hmm. him finish it.
1: Yeah, and you know, Ray, I've had the benefit of seeing consistency in the realm of investing in your children through your daughter, my wife, Rachel. I mean, Rachel now, it's just beautiful to see growth. I mean, she she has her uh, Joyful Mothers page that is on Instagram and on Facebook. I mean, she has now, I think, almost 45,000 people following her. Mm -hmm. Called Joyful Mothers? On Instagram, yeah, Joyful Mothers. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen that. And then that was huge in your home, consistency. I mean, you did how many family devotions?
0: 3,000.
1: 3,000?
0: That was just in one week. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, but I mean, you also brought it down to their level, right? You would do a bunch of things to help convey truth. Embarrassing things. Really? Yes. Tell us, (laughs) right? Example? (laughs) You can't say that and not give us an example. (laughs) Let me tell you why. This was Ray's favorite thing, right? Because- well, he can't be it in real life, so he would play Goliath, right? Yeah, Goliath, yes. and, and the kids would
0: throw <laughs> throw something at me, and I'd crash down, and you know, Lazarus would be under a some sort of sheet and say, "Come forth!" And, yeah, and it, the kids just really, whenever we had a Bible reading, we'd act it out, and we'd have memory verses and rewards each week when they learn their memory
1: verses. And it they out.
2: must have had a great imagination to think you were Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> it was his one moment to feel big. Oh, that's oh, the lie. Find the lie. Well, guys, look. (laughs) I can't believe the time has flown. This has been phenomenal, very stimulating, encouraging. And friends, for those of you listening, listen, we live in a day and age where none of us have an excuse when it comes to growth. We have more resources at our fingertips, (laughs) except Ray physically. (laughs) We have more resources at our fingertips than, than we can even imagine. And I'm looking at all the guys in here today, and I know all your testimonies. And with Emilio, especially, I, I knew him when he was a younger believer. I remember driving down the street with you one day, and you're asking me questions about certain theological systems. And you're like, is that really important? And it was and that. And I'm listening to you now pontificate on some of these glorious truths, a pastor that is shepherding people's lives, you have a podcast, you're, you know, you're doing all kinds of media things. For those of you who have seen the movie American Gospel, Emilio was in that as well, Ray was in that one too, but just to see the growth, Oscar is an atheist, and now you're sitting here and talking about the, the robust Christian worldview. I mean, all of us, right? Where we came from, friends, listen, we didn't grow to where we're at because we just sat around, Right you have to exercise yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. And God has given us all brains, and he's given us resources at the click of a button. So you have to be determined to want to grow. And and as you do, you're going to be effective, and you're going to be a useful ambassador for God's glory. So there you have it, how to strengthen your Christian worldview. Friends, remember, send us any questions you have to email at podcast at email. What? No. in the world is it, Oscar?
2: It's podcast at livingwaters.com. Yeah, thank you.
1: Podcast at livingwaters.com. Uh, any thoughts on future programs? Any questions? Could, uh, do that there, and then remember to check out Ray's book, Overcoming Insomnia, if you didn't fall asleep by listening to this, and the Evidence Bible at livingwaters.com, and please make sure to give us a rating, comments. Hey, you've heard us read some of them. Maybe we'll read yours. Thank you for joining us!
2: What, Oscar? I was going to say, especially if you mention Mark or myself, Oscar Navarro, Mark has promised to put you on his social media page. Uh, You may never get mentioned on here.
1: But thank you for joining us! We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast.